Once again, with a new episode, we've started off with a Christmas song. Pakistan में वैसे गर्मा गर्मी है, लेकिन it is a worldwide festive mall, and we have with us Musharraf Zaidi as usual. Uh, Today, we problem is that we have no topics literally to discuss anymore. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Musharraf here. Thanks for the. Thanks for the intro. I think uh, so. Let it snow is has become a Christmas classic, but huh. some listeners will recognize this huh. song not as it necessarily a Christmas song, but as a Die Hard song. And of course, yeah. you know the Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie ever. Huh. But what I didn't know, Fasi Zaka, huh. is what you just told me. Yeah, that it's a summer movie. Fantastic! It uh, came I out think- in the summer, and uh, it became one of those films that. We always presume was one of those year-end films. Well, look, we're hitting the trivia fast and hard, uh, yeah. and there's a reason for that. It's because we're done with triviality. Yes. Uh, today we have two fantastic guests on How to Pakistan. I'm so grateful that they made time for us, and I- I'm very excited about the kind of conversation we're going to have. Even though Pakistan is a very boring country, and nothing at all has happened all of last yes. week. <laughs> Uh, we're confident that these are the kinds of intellectual powerhouses that are going to, or power horses yeah. that are going to bring some serious uh, substance to the conversation. I have to tell you something. I'm a civil servant today. I just just remembered this. I met a civil servant today. I said, sir, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, look, in this country, there are two or three power brokers, which are always number two. ठीक है ना और तो आजकल जो है ना हम टीवी लगा के पॉपकॉर्न खा रहे अगर हिस्सा नहीं है मजे तो नहीं पॉपकॉर्न Uh, he's part of a wider collective called the Alternative Bar. They serve ice. He's uh, he's <laughs> he's working. Uh, he does uh, public interest litigation. He does a huge number of pro bono cases. He's invested in uh, in people's issues. I know that he's worked with homeless communities. He's worked with uh, alternative political groups that uh, that otherwise wouldn't have. Um, Uh, access to legal services. His name is Umar Gilani. He's a LUMS graduate, a graduate of University of Washington, uh, practicing member of the legal community. And of course, the legal community is pretty, uh, pretty important these days, given everything that's been going on from the attack on the Pandab Institute uh, of Cardiology to the attack on the honor of the nation. So, thank <laughs> you. so, so welcome, welcome thank, to Pakistan. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, it's a great pleasure and, and a great honor that you're, you've joined us. And our and our other guest, by no means second, uh, and by no means better, uh, but definitely by no means worse than Omar Gilani is uh, is Hassan Akbar. Hassan is a uh, policy advocate and researcher. He's the head of uh, strategic programs at the. Uh, Jinnah Institute, which is one of our finest think tanks, uh, 
Hassan works closely with a range of regional and global uh, security think tanks and public intellectuals and uh, focuses on the challenges that, uh, that the region, the South Asia region, uh, specifically and, and the world at large faces. Um, and, uh, and he's a fantastic young public intellectual and we're honored that he's been able to join us today as well. So uh, to both you, Hassan Akbar of the Jinnah Institute and uh, Umar Gilani uh, of the Alternative Bar, thank you for joining us and welcome to How to Pakistan. Thank you. So I thought we'd open up, let's take the contentious one first. This miscarriage of justice with Musharraf. I think... Uh, I think nobody in the legal community can really defend uh, the excessive punishment that has been prescribed by only one of the three justices uh, in paragraph 55, I believe. Uh, I think it's 60, it's 66. 66, so that one line where, he, where the court, where, where the judge, actually it's not the court, it's only one out of the three ju judges who have uh, prescribed that Musharraf, if he cannot be brought back home alive, should be uh, his corpse should be hanged and uh, and you know desecrated. Uh, that one line is totally indefensible, and I have yet to meet somebody in the legal community who would seriously defend that one line. But, but it should not it should not detract us from the fact um, that that is not the punishment prescribed by the court, uh, because if you read three judges, uh, the opinions together in the, you know, it's always like that. The three judges can come up with different views. But the court's view is that he is, should be sentenced to death uh, just like any other person is sentenced to death in this country. Uh, and, and to that extent, that judgment is certainly correct and laudable. So just uh, two very quick questions, and I don't know the answers to this because I'm not a lawyer, but the first is that would something as ridiculous in this invalidate the whole process? Right? So if somebody is obviously not looking within the ambit of the law, because that's some of the things that we have also questioned on, you know, the Chief Justice in the Nawaz Sharif case, like prior to all the evidence I, I, coming in. I, I, before you answer that, yeah. I, I want to I throw an additional voice into the mix because we clearly don't have enough guests. So, yes. so I want to throw this into the mix. <laughs> So I, you know, you, I just, I just wanted to respond to both of you yeah. being like, oh, nobody can defend this, you know, yeah. hanging and dechalk and dragging. Yeah. And I think both of you must be agents of Yahud and Nasara yeah. and the Hindu conspiracy because all good Pakistanis clearly believe that. I don't know exactly. Should we? Should we play it? Let's play it again. <laughs> Let's play it again. <laughs> 5,000. Before you hang them, there was a list of 5,000. There's a list of 5,000 people, according to Malika. So before they're hung, they should be they should be post-lynching. You know what they used to do in the deep south? This came from the Park China WhatsApp group, actually. Did it? Yeah. 
Look, mm. I, I don't know. I don't know what countries are involved in the conspiracy to undermine cleanliness mm. in Pakistan. <laughs> yeah. But I know that Faisal Vauda, 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 Wowza! Like you know, he's he's awesome, and he cares about the country. And you both clearly don't because you know. Like this is what you do to criminals. So I don't understand what the whole uh, like. I are you really sure you can't find any lawyers that can defend this? Because because I feel like there there are a few. There I, seems to be I a sudden is, discovery. Is, I think of, there is always a few people. There are a few people in the world who will defend the the Holocaust. There are a few people in the world still who will defend every kind of atrocity. Uh, but the large you know majority of sane thinking Pakistanis, in my view, do not. Appreciate the idea of hanging Musharraf's corpse, but at the same time, I think we have to appreciate that this little one-liner, um, uh, you know, mistake uh, to use a very soft word by one judge has really, really stigmatized the entire process. Mm. Um, but, but I think we, you know, uh, it's Musharraf's lawyer can now argue that the judges were biased against him, or at least this one particular judge. Yeah. Um, but it does not, in my view, invalidate the entire process. Because if you read the entire judgment, other than this one line in paragraph 66, it's quite a sane and a normal judgment. And it answers a very simple question. What is the punishment for a man who decides, who has sworn an oath to defend our constitution, who has, uh, you know, who has enjoyed the perks and privileges offered by our state for 10 years, and at the end of it, he decides to abrogate the constitution of the state. The court has answered that question and the answer is very simple. He has been prescribed by law the penalty of death by hanging. Listen, there's a picture of Colonel Jessup, I think, mm. that really is the answer to all of this. You know, mm. it's been tweeted around. Um, I'll get more into that, but Hassan, clearly you have a different viewpoint. I hope that you care about Pakistan more than Umar Gilani does and, and support, <laughs> you know, Hanging. No, well, either either way, <laughs> but there must be some way that no, you can be come, more come patriotic. Us come, so, come, us come light mutilation. Nah, nee, so, the first thing that came to my mind when I read the paragraph, <laughs> first I thought it was fake. <laughs> so, I kept checking, I said, uh, download the original uh, uh, document to see whether it's, it's true or not. Uh, and then the first thing that came to my mind, I started thinking, when has this ever happened before? At least uh, in my memory. Uh, and it reminded me of poor Najibullah's corpse in Kabul. Uh, hung by the Taliban for I don't know three days even that was hung huh. for three days huh. so of course I mean it's quite dastardly uh, the fact that it came uh, you know it was that unexpected and dastardly frankly for a judge to recommend such a thing but I think <clears throat> you know if you look at Musharraf's case for the 2007 you know suspension of the of the constitution I mean the the law is very clear so, uh, Faisal Wauda notwithstanding, and he's not the only one. I think in Pakistan, generally, people are very... Uh, generally. Generally, yes. yes. And generous. <laughs> generally and generous. Very generous. And very generous. Generously. Generously. And journalistly. I think most, most of, mo people are really shocked that it's come. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's... So, uh, why we are generously, generously... Uh, do you know the fact that no general in Pakistan has ever been uh, hanged before and there have been at least seven mutinies in uh -huh. which they were involved and convicted. So so I think 
Uh, what about the deputies? But can I, I say, you know, what is the guy who was convicted recently? The brigadier. No, huh. there was a lieutenant general. No, who was, he was the guy, the, the brigadier, brigadier was hanged. Huh. Huh. But the lieutenant general who was huh. convicted in huh. espionage huh. was only given life in prison. Listen, listen, if you lose at even half a flaunt in DHA, that's worse, <laughs> than, that's worse than hanging. So I think that's very unfair. And I, but, but on a serious note, yeah, there was a corruption case a few years ago, right, when the Panama came out, right? Mansoor al-Haq. No, 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 when Panama came out, right, right after that, they had done something. Oh, I didn't realize Panama's gay. When did that happen? <laughs> when Panama came out. <laughs> Good one. Yes. So, right after that, I remember Raheel Sharif in two, three months, he released, yeah, in a month's time, he released evidence of stuff they had prosecuted three or four senior officers, but they had done it a year ago, right? <laughs> they had sent in the yeah, bureau. General Abzal Muzaffar was uh-huh. one of those. Oh my God. Listen, guys, guys, so, but, it, but I, I know it's a podcast, but yeah. that doesn't mean it can't be shut down. <laughs> no, no, so can I, we please, I, for I, the love of God, show the general some love. No, I'm not hearing anything else. I like that we have shown our displeasure. <laughs> okay, 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 hold on. So I want to come back to what you said, but I, I think, you know. I want to see a copy of Santiago's transfer order. What's that? Santiago's transfer order. You guys have paperwork on that kind of thing. I, I just need it for the file. For the file? Yeah. Of course, you can have a copy of the transfer order for the file, Nanny. I'm here to help in any way I can. <laughs> Thank you. Believe that, don't you, Danny? That I'm here to help you in any way I can. Of course. Corporal, take you by personnel on your way out to the flight line, and you can have all the transfer orders that you want. But you have to ask me nicely. I beg your pardon. You have to ask me nicely. You see, Danny, I can deal with the bullets and the bombs and the blood. I don't want money and I don't want medals. What I do want is for you to stand there in that faggoty white uniform and with your Harvard mouth extend me some fucking courtesy. You gotta ask me nicely. Colonel Jessup, if it's not too much trouble, I'd like a copy of the transfer. <laughs> Sir. No problem. So I, I, I played this clip deliberately because... Because I just want to interrupt on this, sorry. But I just... I find that every time something like stuff like this happens, we get this guy, Jack Nicholson's face, and in the end when he's defending himself, like, you don't know, mm-hmm. right? And I, sometimes I write to my friends like, Dude, he was the villain in that film. Yeah, yeah. He was the bad guy, right? Yeah. We don't present him as somebody as honor. And my greatest issue is that I just find that this was the right time for Mehmet Shahyat to have used that particular quote. And it didn't come out. So I, I, I think I got to be honest with you. I'm surprised at how much play uh, Hassan Niazi, Mehmet Hayat, Farhan Virk, uh, Khadija, Khadija Shah. I mean, why are we talking about these people? Like, I'm serious. Like, okay, I, boomer. No no no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's not it. Because because Khadija's older than me. So, so I mean, 
No, but the point is, here's a guy who studied at Columbia uh, and LAMS and has uh, written like a dozen papers. Uh, here's a guy that's like an actual legal professional. Uh, I believe you're a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, TK, I'm the model, you know, <laughs> so that's my fraternity. I, I get it. But what I'm saying is, like, I think we need to just... I think we need to just step back a little bit and actually not react to every idiotic thing out there. And the reason I played the clip was I feel like there's a degree of contempt that a lot of us have that may be intellectually defensible, right? Musharraf took over, abrogated the constitution, not once but twice, uh, laundered the MQM, the PPP, and the PML, introduced Pakistan to Pervez Alai at a leadership level, all of the above, done, 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 and done, was corrupt, uh, ruined, you know, Pakistan's positioning on Afghanistan, if it ever was better than it could have been, is the father of the Kargil fiasco, blah, 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 like, sari cheeze maan leto mein. But, aaj jo ladka brigadier hai, ye colonel hai, he is not responsible for the actions of General Niazi, you know, 50 years ago, or General Musharraf 20 years ago, or General Ziaul Haq 35 years ago. And I think that we forget that. And we forget that the people who are listening include a major and a colonel and a brigadier. And when we adopt a contemptuous tone, right, they don't see it as a legitimate and sharp targeted criticism of individuals or of moments in history. They see it as contempt for them. And I think quite quite the same the other way around. When somebody says all these liberals are the same, they might be reacting to some idiotic post by Tariq Fatah, who not one of us is is enamored by, right? And yet, you know, this groupthink sort of thing happens where we so the courtesy thing, I actually I, I realize what the film is about and that Jessup is a villain, mm. but I think even with villains, we can adopt a tone and a tenor that is above the fray, in which we don't need to be told that we should adopt courtesy because we actually engage, even with people we disagree with, with a certain courtesy. What, what, do you I think, think that's, that's, that, that, that's absolutely correct because, because um, the way I look at it, General Musharraf has done to the army what these 500 lawyers who stormed the hospital called PIC have done to us, the legal fraternity. They have brought us shame. They have defied our code of conduct. General Musharraf's crime is not that he is not just that he violated the rules of the electoral game. It's that he violated the army's own chain of command. He actually incarcerated his own core commanders. Those who chose to defy him and to stand with the constitution were incarcerated by General Musharraf. So General Musharraf's uh, the conviction and punishment of General Musharraf is something that is actually going to exonerate the army. It is actually going to bring honor and respect to those majors, to those captains, to those colonels and brigadiers who are presently serving in the army. Because here is their chance to distance themselves from the one general who chose to defy the constitution while they are still abiding by it. So... So, you know, they, yeah, General Musharraf I mean, is a traitor day. not to Pakistan only. He's a traitor to the army. And, and, and in fact, uh, now that the chapter is closed on him and his treason, uh, we can now, uh, the army can reclaim its honor and the army can rightfully claim the, uh, the title of, you know, being law-abiding citizens. Yeah, so, I mean, 
you know, I've been torn about this, to be honest, uh, because if you ask me personally, Musharraf was, you know, when I was in back in early 2000s, Musharraf didn't look like such a bad guy. And I've met him many times, four or five times at least, personally. And I thought he was he was very good. He he was charismatic also. He gave his points effectively. He did a good job in India, I still remember, in Agra. Uh, and so there were these positive things about Musharraf also. He opened up the, uh, the, the media. He opened up the economy and all of that. And he wasn't a dictator in a pure, you know, African or Middle Eastern dictatorial sense. I mean, he worked, they worked with you know, bureaucracy and politicians. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, in as much as I would, you know, say that I personally don't have such bias against Musharraf, I don't hate him. I think he was a pretty decent chap. I don't think he was corrupt. Um, but, you know, he did break the constitution and it's in black and white. And if you don't have the kind of cover that the 1999 coup had, subsequently by the Supreme Court uh, order and the uh, the bill that was passed by Parliament in 2003, I believe it was the 17th Amendment. Uh, without that, I mean, you know, the case was very clear, cut and clear. You know, it's very, uh, there's hardly any way to defend Musharraf in such a case. The only possible way for this government, I find this government very interesting also because they had a year and a half if they were so against this case, they should have just withdrawn it because they're the primary applicant in this case. Now they're actually defending a verdict which has come, I mean, they're against a verdict which has come in their favor, which I find to be an extremely <laughs> interesting situation. And, uh, you know, they cannot appeal the case. Only Musharraf's lawyers can appeal, uh, appeal the case. So uh, one other question which I have in my mind, and I, I, I'd like to ask Umar, is that do you think that, you know, what's written in uh, 66, chapter 66 of the judgment, uh, can it be the basis for a reference in the Supreme Judicial Council or not? No, I don't think, uh, because... Uh, because that's uh, the argument that's been given the, by the In government. my view, the judge has made an erroneous finding that the punishment for treason is hanging in, um, you know, extremely harsh fashion. Uh, in my view, the punishment is simply hanging like you would hang any other criminal in this country. But the judge has made an error and judges don't get sacked because they make an error. Judges get sacked if they have committed something dishonest, deliberately, if they have deliberately done what they knew was illegal and unconstitutional in their own view, uh, or if they have accepted uh, favors uh, or, you know, done all kinds of, uh, some kind of corruption. So... The accused has every right, and in fact, he should go to the Supreme Court and challenge that the judge has gone beyond the law. Uh, but that is not a ground for sacking a judge. If we start sacking judges simply because they have made errors, we will be sacking half of this country's judiciary. In fact, we will be sacking, ha sacking half of the world's judiciary because judges make errors every day. Can I just say, uh, add one thing? So I find that very interesting because I also like you know have this feeling about him is that. He'd be a nice dude to Hang chill out, out with, with, right? Yeah. He, he passes that sort of test. test. But the one thing I, I, I've always felt about him and that somehow that his certain gifts in coming across a certain fashion. But when we look at that period is that actually in terms of the existential threat to Pakistan, he fundamentally exacerbated them in both Balochistan 
and the tribal areas and sort of the policies he chose. Hmm. And, you know, I, I find that like as an interesting foil to, let's say, what is a commonly derided period, which is the PPP government after is that even if we say, okay, they were corrupt, they were whatever, but as terms of like existentially weakening the federation, they don't have... I actually agree with you. I yeah. think the people in the people's... Or for example, Ashfaq Kiani, who's, yeah. who's not considered a very great yeah. chief of army staff. I have a very different opinion. I yeah. think Kiani played a very important role. Yeah. He was... His, his ways and means were different. He yeah. was subtle. And he was a spy. So his yeah. mind worked in different ways. He yeah. gave things time, etc. But I think that period, post-2008, we were in a very, very difficult situation. Yeah. I remember there were bomb blasts every day. We, yeah. You know, we don't remember those days. Yes. There was a huge... There were 100 people dying every week yeah. in Pakistan. And I think the People's Party government and Kayani uh, together actually managed to bring a lot of stability in, yeah. in many, many ways yeah. to Pakistan, particularly when it comes to the federation. Yes. And I think that's not appreciated in yeah. this country that much. You know, NFC, the 18th Amendment, these were all positive positive steps yeah. towards keeping the federation alive. Yeah. Musharraf's biggest, I think, uh, you know, mistake in my view was uh, definitely Balochistan and mm. his policy in Balochistan. That was quite unnecessary and it further, uh, you know, created, uh, gave impetus to the Baloch insurgency in, in, in Balochistan. On, its, on his policy with America and Afghanistan, you know, my feeling or my sense is that Musharraf was deeply invested in hedging, mm. which you can call by another name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using the political <laughs> <laughs> so I think he was very deeply, personally, deeply invested in hedging, mm. which is why we saw during that time. Let's not forget that the major operations against the Taliban started post Musharraf. Yeah. So if even if you look at, I think only the Bajor operation had happened uh, before uh, in during Musharraf's time. So the major operations that happened, Aurangzeb and Bajor, that General uh, Khan, uh, Tariq Khan led uh, when he was IG. FC. So I think uh, during Musharraf's time, there was no major operation against, uh, you know, elements or TTP elements uh, or others, because the TTP also came, really came into its own element post-2007, 2008. So, you know, we can't credit Musharraf with, you know, resolving the terrorism bogey or anything like that. Credit? Baba... He's the one that in, in many ways helped create uh, this, this bogeyman. There's no, uh, I don't think, but look, the list of things that he did wrong is actually long and distinguished. I mean, uh, if you look at the Reconst National Reconstruction Bureau where I worked and just, you know, full disclosure, I mean, you, you admitted that you supported, uh, you know, I also in 1999, I, I was... Very much like Benazir Bhutto and many other people, I was I was I was on board with the mm. with the coup. Uh, I stayed on board with the coup for quite quite a while because I was invested in the idea that if you could have the reforms that would take thirty years, in two or three years, then why not? And in fact, I moved back from the states and I joined the National Reconstruction Bureau and I worked in government at the Ministry of Science and Technology. This whole wave of like you know. Uh, PTI folks pretend coming back, 
you know, part of my content for them is that I've lived, I've been there and done that, yeah. but I actually did get on a plane and did move back. And a lot of people did. Exactly. All of us yeah. came back, you know, uh, from abroad. Yeah, but don't don't try and pretend that you're as old as I am. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to add one of the victims of General Musharraf. Uh, you know, we, we now have thousands of missing persons in this country. One of my friends in the uh, who's a lawyer, he got picked up five days ago and he's still missing. Uh, so when did this trend of enforced disappearances really pick up in Pakistan? It was under General Musharraf. He really laid the foundations for this uh, outright contempt for the rule of law in this country. Yeah, but and at the behest of who? I mean, that's the other thing. Is that we get we get these lectures from the U.S. about human big, rights now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he did it at the behest allowed, of the United States of America. Yeah, uh, and and there is no doubt that without American support, there would never have been these thousands of these uh, thousands of enforced disappearances. In fact, these these you know uh, unknown internment centers and uh, detention facilities, which have been built in Pakistan to keep these thousands of enforced you know missing persons missing, those facilities were built with American dollars. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask a question now to all of you because I've just been thinking about this. And so it's really interesting how, I mean, we've seen notification is rejected and how strong the statement from the ISPR came out. I was discussing with you earlier. I mean, there's no, I think, uh, issue that we suddenly believe the judiciary is really full of integrity and follows the law at all levels, despite what the people who are angry now have been suggesting for three years at least. But, I mean, I was just wondering about this particular case. Would it not have been strategic, you know, to have done what usually gets done behind the scenes? But the second thing is this posturing, this really public posturing, where one of this, I mean, it's both true and there's also a facade of like, being an uh, organization that is disciplined, better run than everywhere else. And part of that also has to do with being somewhat in the background. And this really strong engagement, uh, because let's not count Musharraf era because that was him. Hmm. But, and then in Kayani's, you know, it was a bit pushed back, but now very different. I mean, is that... Does nobody recognize that as a real threat that you don't want to see the army so publicly aligned in one way or the other? Politically? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a threat uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, the army has, you know, it's, it's not its role to be aligned politically one way or the other. It doesn't matter who gets elected or who forms a government, the army has to play that role and go with that. Unfortunately, in the last couple of years, especially, we've seen you know, this new push towards, uh, and we keep hearing noises that, you know, the government, the civilian government and the military are on the same page, on the same page. Everywhere you, every channel you open, you get to hear on the same page, which frankly makes me wonder, why do you have to keep repeating that you're <laughs> on the same page also, yeah. right? So I think the... the Demo Democratic Republic of <laughs> North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> so in Pakistan, it's interesting. Democratic People's Republic. Oh, no. uh -huh. So, so the, in Pakistan, it's interesting because the, the issues are so complicated that what does on the same page mean? It cannot mean the same thing. For example, mm. look at Malaysia mm. and the summit in Malaysia. Yes. 
from all accounts that I've heard, the Prime Minister really wanted to go. Yeah. And he had invested personally in this at the, at the UNGA also. But, you know, he, they got pushed back from Saudi Arabia and the army then uh, also advised that you should not go. Not only should the prime minister not go, even the foreign minister should not go. Mm. And they completely backed out of that summit. So, mm. Pakistan's challenges, both in the region and within Pakistan, are so complex that, uh, you know, on the same page means very different things uh, when you look at individual cases. So, for mm. example, Musharraf's case is... Mm. now. In Musharraf's case, clearly the government could have done, uh, you know, a number of things to ensure that this judgment did not come out now, that the case was delayed, etc., etc., which they didn't do. Because probably they didn't want to face questions by the media that do you support a dictator or do you support the suspension of the constitution? So they they, they thought they'd, you know, just play along with it. Uh, I think the timing is also very interesting. Why is there a lot of noise around this? Because it comes as after the extension case was taken mm. up by the Supreme Court. It comes after a lot of noise about, uh, you know, General Bajwa's extension. This is the second uh, big case that's been taken up. Uh, and this is creating an atmosphere. Before that, there was talk about the opposition maneuvering, the government not being able to sustain uh, maybe Imran Khan being removed as Prime Minister and mm. all of that. So, with, after all of that confusion and talk in uh, about the town, you, you get this judgment, which after which you get this notification is rejected. Yes. So, so what it's doing is that it's making clear one thing, for me at least, yeah. which is the current situation in Pakistan, the governance situation in Pakistan, just cannot continue like this. Mm. We have too many challenges, both at home, and abroad. Uh, the line of control itself is becoming a big issue right now. So we have too many challenges uh, within Pakistan and the way this government is functioning, whether it is fully supported by the military or not, doesn't matter. The fact is that they are, it, it's running into these governance bottlenecks and ad hocism, which frankly I don't see surviving for very long. So there has to be, in the coming months, uh, you know, there has to be a break from this. Otherwise, we're entering, in my view, an even darker period where malgovernance, misgovernance uh, will lead to such failures. For example, three notifications in three days, they couldn't even write. I mean, look at the level of incompetence. You really need to be incompetent to write three different notifications and still not get it right for the extension. Can I just ask you a question on this? Just, so it's interesting you say all these things. So on this extension issue, I found it fascinated how it... Now, one was the question is there was talk for about a few months. Why is it not moving up the chain? Hmm. And then, of course, the president saying one thing and the other. And then eventually, you know, the army saying, attestation you know, like to that level. But what explains that? I think it was... <clears throat> the thing that would explain it, in my opinion, which would make sense, is as an elected prime minister, this is my leverage. Hmm. And But for some reason, I don't see Imran playing that role. Uh, I think from, from where... I mean, from my assessment is that this was pushed by Imran. The extension was pushed right. by Imran. And uh, through, I mean, obviously recommended through some people who are high up in, in the military. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it, this was pushed by Imran. But frankly, I think there was a lot of... The reason why it didn't come out into the media was because if you listen to what the president said, mm. that's very instructive. He mm. said, oh, I signed the summary in July mm. or something like that. Mm. But actually, it was signed in August. Yes. I think the first summary was moved. It was Within the system, they found out that that summary was incorrect. It couldn't happen in that way. A second summary was then moved mm. because the president had to get... And because of that hullabaloo or that confusion within the system, they really didn't want to open that Pandora's box, which mm. is why they were hiding both their, uh, their notification. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, they eventually had to come out and, and say that, you know, we have, they had to show the notification in the court. Yeah. But I think the reason why they weren't showing it was because there was a lot of confusion. I think they had made these same mistakes earlier as well. Right. In, in end of July, beginning of August, right. and that precipitated this uh, this particular challenge. But I, I mean, I can see that Umar has a different view. I, I, I have a completely different view of the extension saga uh, because I think what it shows, I think the idea that it was some kind of incompetence is we're completely missing the point. It the, the government is certainly incompetent, but uh, there are other examples of that. This is more about. And th- there is something more to this uh, episode of the extension. Is this and analysis or is this news? Uh, I say what he uh, just explained yeah. for the first time made sense to me okay. in terms of how so, they forwarded in this. So let me give became, you my own explanation. Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah. See, if, the, if it is clear that the prime minister will choose the army's boss and everybody in the army will follow the boss which is exactly what the law uh, demands and how armies, professional armies all over the world function, then we would not have a situation like this. But once you start denying the prime minister's leverage to pick the army chief, then the army chief's own leverage over the army is also somewhat compromised. Mm. Because then if the army is going to choose who is going to lead the army, then there is a possibility that there could be more than one army within the army. I don't know if I'm making sense to you, uh, but this is a structural problem. Um, And, you know, many analysts would say that this something of the sort was happening. Uh, It was, these were not mistakes, these were deliberate errors uh, and omissions uh, creating room for, uh, you know, something. But this is, why why do they choose incompetence to do their deliberate errors? (laughs) (laughs) My question on this, I mean, there must be some other tools available. Yeah, like I mean, like if you're gonna if you're gonna do like one of those what do they call them honeypot sort of entrapment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you wouldn't use that ugly a chick. Like I just I don't. Like, I mean, this is really the whole thing is like wicked ugly. But but there's I think for me if if I could just and I don't want to get into a lawyerly thing with a lawyer because I'm gonna lose and I don't like to lose. But I don't know. I mean, there's a, we hear this in Islamabad all the time. Right. There's like there's something else behind this. There's more to this than meets the eye. And I don't doubt that there can be things that are beyond what is obvious. But unless we have evidence, it's very hard to make that claim. But I just want to add one thing. There is one piece of at least recent evidence that supports that something like this could happen. And that's what Kayani did to Musharraf. Right. During the protests, the lawyers movement. So, so, so hold so, on. So I'm just no, saying, no, I'm, I'm going to react because basically yeah. what you are going to strip the lawyer's movement of all its agency and allocate and attribute 
whatever changes took place during that period to some something that Gianni was doing? I was Nini. personally a part of the lawyers group but I feel very offended. And so was I and I also feel offended. No, so was but I, I got, but he actually is when uh, a particular meeting in which uh, the chief justice was asked to you know hold his ground. Perhaps hmm. that's what you're referring to. But I, you know here I'd like to come on to Umar's point. I think you know, there's a. I disagree with you in that that the army is choosing the chief. That's not the case today, and it has not been the case earlier. And the reason for that is very simple, uh, because in many circumstances we we know that the chiefs that were selected were actually you know people weren't expecting them to be selected. Even Bajwa, when he became chief, was not the front runner. You know, and people in the army would you know might have preferred somebody else. Tariq Khan was once upon a time a very favored person to become uh, chief of army staff, but instead of him, Rahil Sharif became the chief of army staff, who was the least likely to become. So I don't think that this is uh, the army chooses the chief. And in this particular case also, I think Imran Khan's need to have, because he has a good equation with Bajwa, and because uh, of the support that he's had, which has let him continue in office, it is his wish and his desire and the people who put him in that place, in that position, could, that, could, this, that this extension happened and that Bajwa continued for three years so that the government's control uh, remains secure. Because the government is, let's not forget, in a very tricky situation. They only have a thin majority in, 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 in parliament. And, uh, you know, it's very likely that uh, that they may be threatened in, in the National Assembly in terms of numbers. So, so my, my, my I just want to quickly add on, sorry, yeah. uh, I just want to posit an amendment to what Omar was saying. And so, like, he was just looking at it from a system perspective, yeah, right? Theoretical perspective. What, what are the incentives? How do they align? And I agree. I, I do think the PM chooses. But can we make the argument that army chief, lines up or chooses his extension. He does. Yeah, right? He does. So that's where the no, problem so, comes. So, no, no, so wait, 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 no, I mean... Look, I'm, I'm going to let you finish. Yeah, yeah. Like in Rahil Sharif's case, it didn't pan out. But in other cases, it did pan out. But mm-hmm. Rahil, at least, yeah. May I speak, sir? Who is dunya mein koi pedo hai go Stop you talking about okay. anything. Okay, yes. no, no. So on the... So I think that this is where civilians and Democrats in Pakistan, I think, really mess up big time. The authority for the appointment as well as extension of any civil servant, including the army chief, is the, is the domain and the jurisdiction of the executive. Agreed. Namely, the prime minister. Agreed. Anytime weak and dishonest civilians want to wiggle out of their responsibility, they blame the army for forcing them to do things. Now, that does not mean that there are going to be times when the army, far exceeding and extending its actual jurisdiction, does try to play games. But the legal structural authority belongs to the prime minister. Tomorrow, I guarantee you, this, it's all happy-go-lucky right now, right? Same page, same page, same page, and we know that's bullshit. Tomorrow, this very PTI, including right from Khaybar all the way to Karachi, 90% of them are going to be claiming that they weren't allowed to operate. 
When this government fails, and it has already in many ways failed, they are going to claim that they weren't allowed to work by they the They are not going to claim. They already have claimed. In a TV interview, their minister has said. I'm saying that, that this is going to become an epidemic. They said. At that point, at that point, all you Democrats who are always trying to blame the army, then you guys have to... Then you guys have to stand by them. And I'm telling you right now, it was bullshit when Nawaz Sharif was doing it. And it's bullshit today. You're either the chief executive of the country, the leader of the strongest party in parliament, the, the, the owner of the hearts and minds of the people, or you aren't. If Imran Khan is confident that he's the most popular political leader in the country, he shouldn't have to lean this hard on a wing and a prayer. No, but I, that's what I was saying earlier, Musharraf. I agree with you. This decision of the extension is purely the Prime Minister's decision. And he is the one who has pushed this. Maybe he has the support of one or two people in the, in the military, but not the chief. For the chief, I think Imran Khan is the one who has decided on the extension. I think that he was mentally prepared for the extension. And he wants the chief to continue because he's comfortable with him. And he's not sure whether the same level of support uh, and in, frankly, even in incompetent decisions mm. would be forthcoming if another person was mm. made chief of the army staff. Mm. So I, in, I agree with what you're saying, that the, that the decision lies squarely with the prime minister. And when they give an extension, it is, it, you know, the buck stops with them, not with the person asking for an extension in service or for an appointment. We remember how we felt when the defense minister was Ahmed Mukhtar. We remember that, right? You can't blame General Kiani for that. We remember when the defense minister was Khaja Asif. We can't blame the army for that. And we remember, because it's happening right now, Pervez Khatak as the defense minister. Those are not choices that, that the army is accountable for. Even if behind the scenes, the army is pressing. That is not the army's, ultimately the responsibility is the chief executive and the elected leadership of this country. I'm sorry, blame the army for what it does explicitly. So, Musharraf is a traitor. He has violated the constitution. And whether it's a death penalty or not, of course, this judge is way off, way off. And by the way, I do think it's a, it's a case for the Supreme Judicial Council because he's broken the law. You cannot institute that punishment under the Constitution of Pakistan. So the judge himself is violating the Constitution by prescribing that kind of a punishment. But we can disagree on that. What we agree on, what we agree on is that Musharraf is accountable for Musharraf because Musharraf was the chief executive. And Nawaz Sharif is accountable for Nawaz Sharif because Nawaz Sharif was the chief executive. And Imran Khan Niazi is the prime minister of Pakistan and accountable for everything that's happening on his watch. And I'm not going to write a blank check either to the Noonies or the Jialas or the Insafians for screwing up and then blaming it on the army. Nobody forced you to put Shah Mahmood Qureshi as the foreign minister. You chose that. Nobody forced you to make Pavez Khattar the defense minister. You chose that. Nobody forced you to leave Usman the... Usman was that. No, no, to leave the, the most important embassies in, in, uh, you know, on the planet with the kind of people that are there. Nobody, nobody asked Imran Khan to remove the foreign office from Afghanistan altogether so that the entire conversation is being managed by two and three star generals. These are choices that the government has made and you can hold the army to account for overstepping, but you have to 
first hold to account the person that created the space for that overstepping, that is the Prime Minister of Pakistan. And in this case, right now, it's Imran Khan. And when it was Nawaz Sharif, by the way, you and I were... I, we made I that was call. About, to, about to mention... Remember what happened after yes, Ufa. Yes, yes. I, I was about to mention Nawaz Sharif's inst- uh, case, that in fact it was Nawaz Sharif which uh, through his... Uh, because he had a lot of uh, baggage from Musharraf's time, Nawaz Sharif did certain things in his government which actually created both distrust within between the military and Nawaz Sharif's government, but also allowed the army to then take up space in areas where there was zero performance. Who or, put Nawaz Sharif? The government. Who put General Musharraf on a plane? I mean, that's the, the the starting. And this is a question Hamid Mead has been asking for the last like five and a half years. No, there was only one. I remember there was only one National Security Committee meeting. But in the first three years of Nawaz Sharif's government, for three years, there was no zero coordination meetings. In Zardari's time, uh, you know, they used to meet every Monday. The army chief and uh, the prime minister and the foreign minister used to meet every single Monday when things were... And as soon as there was an emergency, the DCC was called immediately every time. By the way, let's also not forget the uh, National Security Division, which was the the response to the to the lacunas in the DCC system was was uh, was handed over to at that time in my view the finest diplomat this country's produced in the last quarter Shazad century. Is. No, Mohammad Sadiq. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, bureaucratic yeah. appointment. The Secretary of National Security was Mohammad Sadiq, and he basically spent the entirety of the remainder of his career parked in that slot with no space to do anything. That is not Sadiq's fault, and it's not Sardar Jaziz's fault. That is 100%, and it's not the Army's fault. It is 100% of Ashidu's responsibility. And similarly, these Insafians are not going to get to claim when this whole house of cards comes crashing down that this was all General Bajwa and General Fez and all the other generals. They don't get to name the generals because this is the under the authority of the Prime Minister of Pakistan, just like it was in the previous government and just like it was before that, if you are the executive, the chief executive of the country, you have a fiduciary, constitutional, legal, and moral responsibility to take ownership and and responsibility for what's happening in this country. So uh, I disagree. Yes, yeah. nice and yeah. long. <laughs> I disagree, man. Dude, he's trolling us on our own podcast. <laughs> Please, nice and long. Let's I, hear it. I, I think I, I sort of tend to agree with your basic idea that the battle for super, uh, for civilian supremacy will have to be fought by civilians. It cannot be fought by extraterrestrials. And the absence of civilian supremacy in this country cannot be blamed entirely upon conspiracies. Uh, the blame partly, perhaps mostly, lies upon you know, our own errors and omissions, our own inability to put the house in order. And I think to, to that extent, you're correct. And this is exactly what the Supreme Court has pointed out with regard to the extension of saga. Because the Supreme Court has now urged Parliament to make a law, uh, to make an amendment to the Army Act, uh, which represents the will of the people regarding how an army chief should be selected and what his powers and uh, tenure should be. Uh, so now the buck stops with the Parliament. And let's hope uh, our representatives will do their job. So keep, my, I mean, my, 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 my disagreement with this is that one is 
if tomorrow Imran Khan is removed, I think it's entirely unacceptable if it's done because he's had a falling out with the military. There is no reason for a government to fall. Because uh, within the rules of the game, if he was able to continue and if there are external exigencies imposed on him and the government falls, that is just not acceptable. Hold on. That's number one. No, number no, two, explain number two. the mechanism of how he's going to fall. Because if you're saying extra constitutionally, yeah. I accept that. But that's not what's going to no, happen. No, but even if, let's say, I mean, we've seen it in the 80s and 90s, if behind the scenes MPAs are moved around, that is just not acceptable. That is not part of the political... Whose team. MPAs are they? Imran Khan's M- own. MNAs and MPAs, yeah, right? Yeah. He would have to have his own people yes. jump ship? Yes. Who's responsible for managing the ship? Holy shit, his name is Kaptan. I mean, what, what are we talking about? Too, no, no, no. That's the second thing. It is too high a bar you're placing on civilian leaders. So, right? so Farooq Lahari so leaving the PPP was, was, was... No, no, listen. No, but I, 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 so I agree somewhat with what Fassi is saying. That basically, if, uh, if there is back, backdoor movement, you know, money is thrown around, people are made yeah. to break from a political party... It's not okay when it's done with to People's Party. It's yeah. not okay when it's done to PMLN. Yeah. And it's it's not okay when it was done in Changa, Manga or Mari. Yeah. And it's certainly not okay today. But here's my alternative. Yeah. What if, you know, there is at this point in time, you know, uh, unnatural support being extended yeah. to this government yeah. because of which MNAs are staying in place. Yeah. And if that would support is withdrawn, which yeah. means the kind of hum sub ek page pe hai yes. no longer remains hum sub ek page pe hai yeah. and a neutral sort of approach is taken yeah. to politics in yeah. Pakistan, you will naturally, you may very well naturally see uh, a shift of, but then to blame that yeah. on saying that, oh, these people have been manipulated by the yeah. military or that, I think would be going, you know, a step further. So I agree because I purposely did not address this. Mm-hmm. Now, to come to what you're saying, if that case were to happen and we accept that what has been made as an evidence has already been manipulated. Exactly. And if it has been taken away, then we go back to where the original sin was. Mm-hmm. That does not fall on Imran Khan. Okay. Right, that falls on the manipulator. So, can I offer now? A- now, I just want to add the other thing is that the bar for civilian uh, PMs that you're putting is way too high. You can't. There are no countries in the world where you have a jinnah come up every five years, right? We governments, by and large, are unassuming. They go forward, and the key element is stability. If you and the other thing is, I can plan. For the opposition, I can plan for what I can't plan for invisible forces, right? And that sort of instability has a cost. So to suddenly say, look, I'm just saying, it's like if this is the equivalent of saying if somebody is getting beat up, why didn't you know karate? Why didn't you know something much higher? I just think this bar is way too high. Ah. And again, so on this particular case that you're talking about, if we assume that, right, then we go back to the root cause analysis. I, I won't put this on. Yeah, I'd say Imran Khan abetted it. Mm. But, you know, he wasn't in a position to organize this. Mm. Right? He was, if anything, he was an outside player. Outside player. Yeah. Can I, maybe just to bring uh, Umar in, into this, uh, because you, 
I think you have a different viewpoint. <clears throat> let, me, let me reposition the discussion. Right now, Imran Khan, as prime minister, is vulnerable on two fronts. One is personal conduct. We don't talk about it very openly, but, you know, the, 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 the whispers are that there are things that can be used in the public domain that would really hurt him, right? Let's not get into speculation about what it was, but, you know, let's say evidence of personal conduct that is below the dignity of the office of the prime minister, right? That's number one. Number two is in the assembly. His parliamentary partners are there clearly not because of his own charms or an ideological coming together, either with the MQM or with the BNP Mengel or with the PMLQ. All three of these parties, BNP Mengel to a less extent, but he has been vicious about these other uh, two parties. And without these two parties, both in the Punjab and at the center, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he can't survive. Here's my proposition to you. The responsibility for forging coalitions is not the job of the DGISI, is not the job of the army chief. If they did that, they shouldn't have done that. And if they're doing it right now as prime minister, it's his job to say, hey, I'm a politician. I'm all about consensus. I know how to forge consensus in my country. I will engage with the PPP or the PMLN or the PMLQ or the Jamiat Ulama Islam Fazur Rahman or the Jamaat Islami or any other numbers of independents or party members to create the necessary stable coalition for me to remain prime minister. But he's not doing that, is he? He is depending on invisible forces to maintain his numerical superiority and to continue to be gracious as far as his conduct issues are concerned. Well, I think that's a- that is not the fault of the army. That is the weakness of the Prime Minister of Pakistan. I think that's a point very well taken. That if in a year's time, the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Mr. Imran Khan Niazi, uh, loses his office because of a falling apart of his coalition, he cannot blame uh, the army because he has himself chosen to adopt the path of confrontation uh, with all parties in the opposition. If a prime minister really wants to establish his own power, his, his party's power, if he wants to enforce civilian supremacy in this country, he will have to establish himself as the leader of the house. See, the difference between a civilian dictatorship and democracy is parliament. And parliament is not just your own party. It's opposition parties. Thank you. If a prime minister can have a decent conversation with leaders of the opposition, with all of his own coalition partners, he will never need the support of uh, invisible forces. Invisible forces. Uh, so the easy excuse that uh, you know civilians in Pakistan have not been established, have not been able to establish their foothold in politics simply because the army doesn't want them uh, is is a convenient excuse. It's a cop-out. It, it is a convenient excuse and it falls in the face of facts. Exactly. Uh, you know, ultimately the agency for change is to come from politics. Thank you. Civil, civil servants and army men are supposed to behave in the manner in which their institution has trained them to behave and they will behave the way they have always behaved in history. The agency for change, for behavioral change, has to come from politicians. It has to come from intellectuals. It has to come from journalists. And we can't blame the civil servants and army men for our own failings, for our own inability 
to you know steer the course of history our lack of honesty and our lack of creativity that is on us not on the army and not on the facts so let me present you four particular cases which we where we know that the government and particularly the prime minister has refused to take responsibility or do what he's supposed to do the first instance is february 26 2019 after the balakot strikes the prime minister did not uh, brief uh, the opposition leaders in fact all the opposition leaders parliamentary leaders in the opposition were gathered in parliament house waiting for a briefing the foreign minister was there the chief of army staff was there and the dgisn were there the prime minister did not show up although he was in the room next door in the same building eventually the foreign minister tried to do the briefing to which the parliamentary leaders objected because they said that you know we are it's a breach of protocol yeah so then the army chief requested the parliamentary leaders that i will do the briefing so the prime minister refused which is also by the way technically a breach of protocol agree, but the point here i'm trying to make is that the prime minister refused to meet opposition leaders on a national security issue or explain or discuss with parliamentary leaders in the opposition on a national security issue secondly look at the example of uh, what happened with malaysia this malaysia summit it is the military that has had to reach out to the opposition to tell them and explain to them why the prime minister or the government is not going to malaysia and what uh, the discussion was in riyadh it's the job of the prime minister and the foreign minister to ca- call together parliamentary leaders from the opposition and make that choice third a number of ministers in this government made uh, remarks on cpec yes which infuriated china it was the murad said mr qadri and razak daud and it was the chief of army staff which right you know it was within the few months after this government came into it was the chief of army staff which right after those statements had to go to china and spend considerable time in china to mollify the chinese about the uh, policy of this government and its views on cpec so when this government in a, in somewhat bringing into perspective how this government has functioned the fact if, for example look at what happened with molana fazlur rahman's uh, particular dhanna mm-hmm. over here many ministers were saying that it's not our job i mean we don't need to talk to them to the opposition because the the army chaps would take it mm-hmm. the army chief had to meet had met twice with molana fazlur rahman why because the prime minister and the government civilian government refuses to meet them so i think this reinforces when i say incompetence of this government i think it's putting extra pressure in my view on other institutions in this country to do things which the government should be doing in in any case no no it's massive overexposure for the so military exactly. which is bad for okay. the country so i i i'm so okay so just to add to the alienation of the systematic alienation of parliament because you know opposition yeah, is part of uh just three examples we don't have a functioning election commission as we speak because the opposition uh, the government is uh, is simply refusing to speak to the opposition leader and you can't have an election commission without uh, without that to uh, former prime minister nawaz sharif is in uh, you know is abroad and he's been convicted former prime minister shahid khan abbasi and former minister for finance are hauled in a anti terrorism van in court every two weeks from uh, adiala jail uh, you know former president asif ali zardari is just gotten out on bail uh, 
you know the government has passed only two acts and 18 ordinances so they have chosen to adopt law making without going to parliament as their routine method of legislation so obviously so, so, if, so, if you if you behave like that so, you will have no support well, tomorrow they're going to blame the army for all of this by the way yeah. they're going to blame the army sure, for fawad and fawad they're going to blame the army for mifta for uh, shahid khan abbasi they're going to blame the army for all of this and i'm telling you right now it That's doesn't fly right now and it's not going to fly tomorrow just like it didn't fly in nawaz sharif's case nobody forced nawaz sharif to be as incompetent as he was on foreign policy he he made that choice himself and nobody forced imran khan to cede authority on matters that are entirely the domain of civilian leadership you know i want to add a positive note to that you know when you say that nobody forced these civilian leaders who we elect do the things they did it also means that today and tomorrow they can actually change we can you know if we made the errors we can fix them if somebody else made the errors so then we can't fix i it. i So I, anyhow, I'm the odd man out in this one, and I will once again. No, but the floor is yours. Why don't you explain? Because I think it's a really I, it, important it, it, discussion. It's, 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 it's simple. Look, I'm not here to. I mean, I'm the last one who would defend the PTI, and my point is not to say that I'm going to go back and litigate their record because I agree with all of it. I agree with what you're saying. My question is: is that one is okay? Let's now, for example. let's go take the original sin element out you guys are saying that you know everything is on his end and he can't put it two things what is an incentive what makes the what makes the prime minister think that he doesn't need to cooperate right if he's in a parliamentary system that means he's got some element of coercive measure that he thinks he can rely on more than just actually running the parliamentary body that is something that is obviously weighing on his mind and it's something i think the whole cabinet acknowledges the second thing is is that on the question of whose fault it is now that things are going wrong if we know for example that there are coalition partners who are there simply because they've been forced into that position and if this is being allowed to continue and there's somebody else who's holding the strings together whereas if you let imran do what he wanted this government would fall so then again where does the onus of responsibility lie i don't want to make it into a binary but i just always find that on the prime ministerial and all these mistakes you talk about i agree and governments make these mistakes they don't suffer instability because of it a nation has done brexit has been dragged through the mud the governments go and you find progress in other areas but for us to then say that despite these internal pressures this guy should have and put up you know he should have been a real statesman one for the history books in our 50 book of you know 50 quotations he should have at least 25 entries i just think that is an unrealistic expectation to hold for prime minister yeah it's and much more complicated it's much more complicated for us to say that this is solely on that and and now in the way this structure has been set up like a lot of things that we're talking about like imran khan is basically boxing himself into a corner but again whatever his personality characteristics must be but there is something that he knows that he can rely on that doesn't require normal parliamentary practice but we know for a fact we know from all his you think if tomorrow if you think tomorrow if he was told in no uncertain terms hold it together it's open season his tune wouldn't change but i'm 
I mean, he is a man of compromise. I mean, he's chillaxing with uh, Sheikh Rashid, all the people who he once could not even bear to breathe the same air in the same room. Right. Who made that choice? He made that choice. He's complicit. But I'm just saying is like all these things, like putting it on his, just because the de jure position is that it all flows from him. It's just not how it works. Uh, you know, for me at least, you know, Fuzzy, I, I, I don't deny the complexity and, and the gray in all of this. And one more thing. I mean, just, just for argument's sake, right? We're saying is they've abdicated this, abdicated that, right? There's also very specific things on, you know, what the role of the military is, what it needs to do. And it does that job well, right? We've come peace back in whatever. But there's also penalties, for not outright rejection of the constitution through a coup, but also fraternizing with political groups or supporting them one or the other. It flows both ways. I think what you're trying to say is that you know, we, are, we are enforcing the article 62 and 63 against parliamentarians. But yes. There is an oath prescribed in the constitution for members of the armed forces. And in the Fairabad Dharna case, the Supreme Court has pointed out the possibility that maybe there are officers in the armed forces who are not uh, following that. No, and I'm saying, I mean, one of my fundamental arguments is the framing, right? The framing is that governments can't mistake, can't make mistakes, they can't be incompetent in one or two areas. One or two? <laughs> Fine. You've got to be kidding. 10, 50, look at the U.S. No, right now. Why are you complaining? No, 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 no. I think there's a distinction. We're, yeah. we're saying governments have every right to be incompetent. Yes. But governments cannot dismissively treat parliament. Because if they dismissively I, treat I am, parliament, I then absolutely, they will have no support base other than... I'm absolutely the there with you, right? And I'm just saying is that, again, we could look at root cause. If, if I was... If I was a CEO of a company and I treated everyone badly, but I knew the board of governors was on my side, I think there's a reason. Let me why. let me let me do something that I think, I think quite quite cleverly you tried to do, and you know we sort of you know we've hit the one hour and ten minute mark, but but I I've like, enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, guys yeah, this is so this much. Is really, I love thank it. you for coming, guys. Honestly, I, I'm yes. pretty sure that our audience is going to be like, why do we have to listen to these two idiots? <laughs> Why not the two smart people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should be how to Pakistan with Omar Gilani. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but what I was going to say was... great to be able to talk so freely about... And, uh, you know, I think what makes your show different is that... We're able, to have, very, we're able to, have, have very, to have a very nuanced conversation. By the way, if I go missing after this, <laughs> all of your audience is supposed to show up yeah. and protest for me case for uh, Baba, our audience is sitting in college campuses <laughs> 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 Nobody in Pakistan. Yeah, please, please, please do a tweet. Like, oh, you are not patriotic. You are not. I mean, a few days ago, there was, you know, I mean, I don't read every comment, but sometimes, you know, they just pop at you. There was this one, I'd said something, and he was like, you know, uh, you're very happy about the Musharraf thing. Uh, the friends of Pakistan and the enemies are making themselves obvious, right? <laughs> and I was like, That's so who is this guy? So I clicked on this thing. So this dude is sitting in like Toronto or, <laughs> or New York or something. Doctor, right? <laughs> New York, I'm Sorry, I'll tell you a story. I think I'm, I've told it once before. But around five years ago, there was an acquaintance of mine thought about Miltepi that day. And I didn't know anything about it. 
And he went on to a diatribe. And well, I don't mind it when uh, random people do it, but when you know someone for a bit of time, it irritates you. It right? irritates you, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know me. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. So he wrote me, you're not nationalistic or And then I didn't talk to him for two, three years. Then he wrote to me after five years or so. He says, dude, wanna uh, hang? You wanna know, hang? hang? <laughs> <laughs> so, let bygones be bygones. They said, sure, how about let's meet tomorrow for coffee? No, no, like in one, two months. I said, why? Why not? You are immigrated to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, nobody, nobody knows patriotism like uh, like homies outside. Um, by the way, I, I get it too, as as the product of you know. I mean, my father also immigrated, and you know. یہ ایکسینٹ جو ہے یہ مطلب بڑا مہنگا جو ہے امی پاپا نے نہیں مطلب کافی شادیاں مس کرنی پڑی سنو شبل کرنی پڑی اچھے خاصے یو پی کے لوگ تھے بےچارے مطلب ٹھنڈ ٹھنڈ ہواؤں میں جو ہے مطلب پھنس گئے تھے So it was. No, I, I really want to say it out that every day I wake up in Islamabad, this great beautiful city, and especially in the winters, you know, I, I thank God. Yeah. Because I cannot imagine being in a better, better place, you know. Yeah. And I, this is not like to prove my patriotic credentials, which... No, 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 obvious. There's nothing patriotic about you. Which I've been to a considerable question. Is this something I thought, you know, I really wanted to be able to say this somewhere. That's uh, fantastic. I'm so glad you did. Listen, you also said something that I thought was really interesting. And I'm going to use that to, to re, re-prop uh, the, the conversation. So... Suppose we're not talking about the army. And actually, we can pause that for a second. In all my interactions with the government, one of the consistent things, and of course, every government does this, but a lot of these people are new. And I've, I've, I've said to other friends as well, I think I've said it on the podcast, I think that's pretty exciting. Like, I think the fact that there's so many new people in ministerial slots is actually pretty cool, even though a lot of us won't have the same comfort level, and so there's a bit of awkwardness. But it's cool that the country has all these new people. The one thing common across all of them is a complaint, bureaucracy Bureaucracy doesn't listen, they don't execute, they don't do what we want them to do. Bureaucracy is overburdened by rules of business, rules of business don't allow. So there's all these excuses for the absence of reform. So when I have this conversation, and I used to have the exact same conversation with the PPP folks, exact same conversation with the PMLN folks, indeed, exact same conversation even with the PMLQ folks and the Musharraf era. When I have this conversation with them, I say, listen, the responsibility for reform is not the bureaucrats. It's yours. And your inability to develop a comfort level to talk back at your secretary when he says rules of business don't allow, the first question should be, why can't we change the rules of business? And you need to force the system to respond to your demand for reform. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to deliver. And at that point, the conversation just dies. <laughs> now, now, for me... There's the, the typology or the pathology of this, of this disease is exactly the same. It's that people who are elected leaders based on a democratic system are refusing to own the executive authority that God and the people of Pakistan have vested in them. So forget Siv Mill for a second. 
But you see the exact same pathology in their attitude towards rules of business, towards the bureaucracy, towards judiciary. lack of reform, towards judicial reform, to, towards police. Sahival, I mean, is one case. But there's dozens of instances, Kasur, Zenab, Zenab Plus Plus, in every single instance, uh, the, 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 the young fella that, you know, with the ATM picture, the mentally, uh, what was his name, Salauddin, the Salauddin case, the Sahival case. You have all these cases in which fundamentally these are not about civ mill, they're, they're not about anything except the absence of the capacity to engage in serious reform. And to me, it's the same thing manifesting itself in a different field. It's the absence of ownership of authority by people that have the constitutional obligation to exercise the will of the people. What do you say to that? I just say that the people who have the constitutional authority vested in themselves are really good at reading the tea leaves on how much space they truly have. Oh my God. So you're back on GSQ then. I just like think, let me be the contrarian here. Yeah. I just think that the bureaucrats are doing a good job because they're saving us from a freaking disaster. Because change and reform, when not thought out properly and too quick, in my opinion... So you make three notifications and three mistakes <laughs> when you don't listen to when those you, guys. Yeah, don't listen to those guys. So I think uh, they're doing their job which is to save this country and the system from a completely unthought out, hastened reform process that rather than improving the system and improving the lot of our people and providing better services may actually destroy a system which in some ways still works. Yeah, tell me, so tell me. I agree with him. What part of the system works? I, 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 I think the system works for yeah, the people. And and it it works great. The system works great for the 2%. The system works great for the 2%. Let me, let me. BHUs be here. Government schools be here. They're bad, whatever. But they're a fantastic job in the government schools. listen. I'll give you one example. So, for example. Oh. So, for example, you know, the, the system works because why is it we've been fighting the war on terrorism for longer than uh, Syria, for longer than Iraq, from lo far longer than Yemen and yeah. far longer than Libya. Our cities are standing. Yeah. It's the strength of our bureaucratic system and our military system that we've been able to sustain pressures as many as they were from multiple sources inside and outside this country that our cities stand in there, we're still functional, you know, we're going to, kids yeah. are going to school, it's still functional. And yes, there's much to be desired, Musharraf. I agree with you, yeah. there's much, much, much more to be desired. But imagine a situation where you have a failure, a complete failure of, you know, system as it exists. Right? This is a no, new no, definition no. of optimism. Hey man, we're not Somalia or Afghanistan. Cheer up. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, Why not? I want to add one thing. The dreams of the heart destroy. No, no, on that we are really cornered, Musharraf, because we all three agree yeah. that there is much, much to be happy about in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm not the only cornered Musharraf. I think there is something. <laughs> I'm not the only cornered Musharraf. I personally think, you know, Possibly the biggest problem in this country is not corruption. It is not the absence of reform. It's the absence of positivity. It's the absence, you know, it's, a, it's this, this, you know, malaise that we always talk about what is wrong in this country. This week, we actually, uh, you know, we managed 
to have a you know have one of our courts declare the appointment of the most powerful man in this country illegal two we managed to get one of our courts to convict uh, a person who used to be the most powerful man in this country possibly the most powerful man in our entire history general musharraf so so you know there's not everything is going haywire and and i think why don't we always you know why don't we talk about that more often actually yeah, yeah, you are the first remotely liberal person in pakistan who has accused me of not being optimistic so i'm going to re-record this <laughs> i'm going to clear up your sound <laughs> i'm going to i'm going to play this like on repeat I, forever I, i love it i just, I just but, wanna, but it's not it's not it's not the, an accurate reflection of the conversation in my mind and definitely not of the judiciary <laughs> man pata nahi digna ye wo ke judge aaya only released half the funds so he didn't make the acquisitions and he surrendered the money back 10 years later the nab uh, the government decided that we want to make the service road but obviously now the land is five times the price and nab started inquiring about him ki ye tumhari wajah se it's like dude main aadhe paise se hoka lagaunga kya karunga paise kahan gaye hain and you know what the case they made yes. that difference yeah. in the price Yes, is corruption. So, it's for corruption. example, if it if, if it was for uh, hypothetically say you know fifty crores and uh-huh. now is for two billion, uh-huh. that one point five billion is corruption. Yes, he will, his case will be booked for one. No, no, no. So billion. forget that. This and whole many cases like this that. whole thing yeah. about all the foreign aid, do an audit of all the foreign aid Ridiculous. because it all went to corruption. Man, and then they did it, and he was like, "Dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's, going to, it's all gone to account one." Yeah. Well, the irony of ironies is actually that. a more intelligent examination of this would reveal massive inefficiencies and massive yeah, prioritization yeah, exactly. problems yeah, problems yeah. of prioritization yeah. but of course nobody's interested in a nuanced conversation and, everybody wants and, to see what in this particular one. case right the bureaucrats are obviously saying is that you have criminalized opportunity cost wo kisi duniya mein nahi hai ye cheez true uh, okay so anyhow i just wanted to thank the both of you It Thank was such a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, Umar. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, Mr. Musharraf. Hey, uh, listen. Thank you, Hasan Akbar from Janaya City. Thank you, Umar Gilani, for joining us. Uh, thank you to all the listeners yes. for listening in. This was yes. a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Fasi, I'm sorry that you didn't let me speak. <laughs> I said I didn't do it to you today. I'm really sorry. <laughs> और नाइन्टीज की क्वीन बे वे लिविंग विद हर ठीक है ना सो एवरीबडी होप यू हैव अ ग्रेट वीक टू कम एवरीवन हैव अ वंडरफुल वीक खुदा फिर फ्रॉम मी एंड उमर एंड हसन एंड फसी मुझे भी निकलना